First, first things first, Alabama State Bar Rules of Professional Conduct, Rule 7.2e, requires the following language in all attorney communications. No representation is made that the quality of legal services to be performed is greater than the quality of legal services performed by others. So, today, Paul, um, we have three different topics. Number one, what's happening in Fairhope. Number two, discussing the sheriff's department's uh, the death of a confidential informant and uh, also the sewer issue. Um, I believe there's a new petition out on change.org change and um, obviously we'll, we're going to get into that um, today. Um, our next podcast, um, we would like to ask and invite former Baldwin County Commissioner Jonathan Armstrong on here with us to discuss his comments in the latest Landyap article. So uh, tell us, Paul, what's going on in Fairhope? <clears throat> Quite a bit. Let me say first that uh, this is our second podcast. You can get it on the RIP Report, Baldwin County Legal Legal. You can get it on the ripreport.com and also the Backstory mm -hmm. Podcast. Um, the RIP Report is a nonprofit. We are not a political organization. Uh, we specify of me we specialize in looking into political corruption a lot of these complaints come from uh yourself the audience the co constituents um in fairhope uh the drama in fairhope never ceases to end um, this drama started as soon as the mayor unseated of uh, the previous mayor who had been there for 16 years anytime something like that does happen you do have some blowback here it seems to be particularly uh, strong, in the, and that's basically because most of the council are all aligned with each other. Now, one of the things that's happening over in Fairhope, which has always been a problem, is that the council now is, again, you know, last month uh, they were trying to give away $20 million worth of land, municipal property, and now they have gone and bought $2.6 million worth of land right in the middle of the budget discussion, uh, brought it to the council and passed it 3-2. Now, no public participation or public hearing was held on this. But the council comes back and says, oh, yes, we did. We discussed this in council and we discussed it in work session. Well, that may be correct, but that's not talking to the public. That's not a public hearing. The people that live next to the site were never notified. No one knew that it was going to happen that night until the agenda was posted. So, and there's quite a bit of question about the appraisal and how it was done. What's particularly disturbing with this is one of the individuals that given the most blowback on the criticism over the purchase is Councilman Robert Brown. And Mr. Brown has his uh, uh, own closets. And that is that he's been involved in uh, recently in a contract with the Eastern Shore Art Center. Now, that complaint was filed with the Ethics Commission. And uh, I'll try to reframe from saying what I think of the Ethics Commission myself personally. That's, that's but, probably a good idea. Uh, <laughs> but... Um, uh, no one that I know of in Baldwin County uh, has been had any ethics complaints that have been followed through. They're pretty much, um, you know, disregarded. However, 
this is common sense. This is common sense that, that individuals and, and citizens should know before they even get out of high school. And that is, and this is a quote from the ethics commission, but this is the common sense quote should be too. And what's important is that you cannot use your office to create a benefit for yourself or any business with which you or are associated or your family. You may bid on the work, but you cannot have used or use in the future your position for it to get awarded. Now, that's a, that's a common sense statement. This is in the RIP report today that you can see the whole report, but taken out of the RIP report is that if you listen to what I said, then you have to think, is the above what we want our children and what, what we want Fairhope Junior Council to understand as an ethical guide to good government? Does the above not support ethics, accountability, and transparency? The opposite of that is elected officials who use their office for personal gain are contributing to political corruption. They violate ethical standards. They have no transparency or accountability. And if you don't understand that, you can stop listening at this point. But look at the RIP report. Follow us on that. Go to your council meetings. Think about becoming um, candidates next year uh, and make a difference. Um, one thing that is known in Fairhope, too, what Fairhope is known for, and we saw a lot of this in the county race the last time, was that you see these races, and then all of a sudden we have what we call faux candidates. These are candidates that are put in place to run for particular positions, some of them not even intending to win, but just being in a position. Now, in Fairhope, we're getting scuttlebutt that there's a couple of blog sites possibly now that are being very disingenuous to the public in the fact that they call themselves social sites, but they are wandering into political discussions and, alt and censoring uh, other political posts that go onto their site. Now, I guess a little bit of a compliment to our podcast is our first podcast seems to have uh, really shaken some people up to say the least. And now we're hearing that in nobody hit my car jumping from a window. There. <laughs> so, so now what we're hearing from Fairhope is that we are fixing to have some countering podcast, which we welcome. Counter to what? Counter to our podcast, which, which should be very interesting because again, let me remind you, this is a nonprofit, non-political podcast that where we are representing you. So when we see these podcasts that come out, we're going to be very happy to expose them. And then we'll have a special podcast on their podcast. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of like a plant article on the Yellowhammer news. Correct. You, you can, you know it when you read it. Yeah. Correct. Like correct. Correct. So are we ready to move on to the death of the confidential informant? I think so, because uh, I could stay on Fairhope for about two months. So let's move so, on from that. So I want to channel a little bit of Dr. Jordan Peterson. He's a professor of psychology at the University of Toronto in Canada. And um, he's got a little bit of advice for us. So hold on one sec. If you object to it and you don't say anything, then you're complicit. 
and then it's on you. And you know, like, A causes B and C, and B causes C and D, and so forth. The thing tends, doesn't always, but it has this tendency to expand. And you'll come home angry and upset, and you'll go to the training program, and you'll think this is ridiculous, because that is what you'll think in all likelihood, and you won't say anything. But it eats at you. Well, you've abrogated your responsibility. And so, and then you might say, well, so then, then that's how the community becomes corrupt. That's how the community starts to be corrupt, is that people turn a blind eye to emergent pathology when they know it's pathological. That's exactly what the Egyptian story says. Osiris is overcome by Seth because he's willfully blind. Willfully blind, which means he knows, but refuses to, he knows, quote, his predator detection systems have gone off. Monster. Well, then you're supposed to look, okay, exactly what sort of monster is this? Well, it doesn't have wings. It doesn't have a tail, you know? You cut it down into the, you cut it from the monster that it could be into the monster that it is. That's the first step. And then you take the appropriate steps. And then you also notice the other monsters, because here's something to think about. You're going to pay a price for speaking up but you're going to pay a price for not speaking up. So it's like monsters on the right, monsters on the left. Pick the ones you want to battle with. If you decide not to make your stand, you weaken yourself. If you do it a hundred times, then even if the monster was only this big, now you're this big, it's going to eat you. You know, when it was this big, you probably could have kicked it across the room. It's too late for that. You've capitulated and capitulated. And capitulated and capitulated and capitulated, and I'm done. And turned a blind eye. And I'm eye. done. And so that's why you're hearing the story right now. So if you'll go to our Facebook page, um, there is an article on there under notes, and it's entitled, uh, well, I'll just read it to you. Man commits suicide by tying seatbelt around neck and jumping from moving vehicle. Now, remember... This was published the same day that this young man died. The call came in at 12.26 a.m., and this article was published the same day, Wednesday, July 13, 2016. So it says, The Bond County Sheriff's Office says a 19-year-old man committed suicide by wrapping a seatbelt around his neck and jumping from a moving vehicle. The man has been identified as Peyton Allen Little. Law enforcement officials were called to North Baldwin Infirmary about 12.30 a.m., Wednesday in response to the incident which occurred at County Road 47 and Melvin Stewart Road. Investigators say Little had threatened suicide for several hours leading up to the incident. They say as Little's 16-year-old girlfriend was driving north on County Road 47, Little wrapped the seatbelt around his neck and jumped from the vehicle. The report says the 16-year-old stopped the vehicle and attempted to remove the seatbelt from Little's neck but couldn't. Then a passerby stopped and cut it. Little was taken to the hospital where he was pronounced dead. An autopsy will be performed. So there's the first indication that something's going on that they don't want us to know about. I don't Because how, how in the world could they have conducted an investigation and done a press release by noon that day? I, I don't see how anybody could just read that alone and not see red flags everywhere. Okay. Um, so, so next, um, about, I, I want to say it was about a month after, uh, this young man had died. Um, I was asked by this grieving mother, 
um, to to attend a, a meeting with her family down at the sheriff's department conference room in Robertsdale. Um, the chief deputy was there, the major over investigations, two assistant district attorneys. Um, let me think. Byrne was there. The, these are the, the, the deputies that were involved in the case. Uh, deputy Byrne was there. Deputy Stillman, who was the lieutenant crime scene investigator, Deputy Overstreet, it was actually his case, and another one. I can't. I can't remember who the other guy was. Like I said, it was 2000, the summer of 2016. So, um, I guess the next place to go with this is to read an email um, that I sent to one of the assistant district attorneys who was also in the meeting. And I think this will kind of sum the story up for everybody. So I sent this yesterday and I said, unfortunately, this is a very serious email, but I hope you are well. I always thought of you as an asset in the district attorney's office here in Baldwin County. Do you recall the meeting that you and I attended at the sheriff's department office in Robertsdale, Alabama with the family of Peyton Little? He was the young man the sheriff's department alleged wrapped a seatbelt around his neck and exited a vehicle. They said in the press release 12 hours after the initial call came in, both detectives and their deposition state that the news story was inconsistent with the evidence and with the official statements of the two witnesses at the scene. So not only is the story a joke, but when I read it to them in their depositions, they say absolutely, totally inconsistent with anything we told anyone above our heads. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, because I asked them particularly about who their supervisors were. And uh, by the way, I think uh, De investigator Overstreet's entire deposition is on our Facebook page. So anybody wants to go read it in, in its entirety, please go, go ahead. So I continue um, with, um, with my email here. And I say, I've just settled the civil case with the driver of the car and her mother. Through the course of my, of my investigation, I discovered that Peyton Little was, in fact, an informant for the Baldwin County Drug Task Force. Hmm. In that meeting that you and I both attended with was Anthony Lowry. He was, at the time, the major over investigations, but now is the chief deputy at the sheriff's department. Two years after our meeting at the sheriff's department, I finally got to depose those investigators, Overstreet and Stillman. They both stated under oath in their depositions more than two years after this young man's death that they were not aware that Peyton Little was an informant for the drug task force. Now, Paul, why in the world would their superiors or anybody at the drug task force not inform the investigators that this young man was an informant? Who would be responsible for knowing that he well, was a, well, that well, he was a? Uh, it, it's all in the deposition. Uh -huh. uh, who the who the uh, lieutenant was over the drug task force at the time. But let me just finish this real quick. All right. Um, so we made. So who made the decision not to tell the lead investigator nor the crime scene investigator that the decedent was a snitch? For I, I, I did use that word. As it turns out, I believe it to be very important and may even indicate how or why this young man died. In other words, it might have been somebody he was snitching on. Correct. Okay. 
Just, just, just so that you're following me here, Paul. No, I'm I don't. Following you. I don't want. I'm assuming that you're as smart as I am. Well, and that, and that this all stinks to high heaven. But anyway, let, so, so I, I finish. I wrap up my email with, I'm giving you the opportunity to come to come clean because I do not believe you knew this fact, nor that you would conceal it from the investigators. An additional problem that I have is is who his supposed handler was, and I'm not going to say his name, but um uh, yeah um but obviously if you were the handler of this young man for the drug task force and he died unless you were on a long vacation any idea why you wouldn't have passed that on to the people investigating his death i think as a law enforcement officer that would have been that you would have been compelled to do so immediately so I, I further go on and say, we do not intend to sue anyone at this time, but we do intend to go public. I would love to be able to say with authority that the, the district attorney's office was not involved in any kind of cover up. Thank you. I hope so too. Drop the mic. <laughs> um, so you can go to our Facebook page, look under notes. You can see the entire deposition of investigator Overstreet. You can read for yourselves exactly what he said and the fact that there was very little investigating done on this case at all, to, to be real honest with you. Um, also, if you read through his deposition, he keeps referring to an autopsy report. I can tell you that no autopsy was performed on this young man. They did an external examination of the body, and based on what the medical examiner was told, that he wrapped a seatbelt around his neck and hung himself in a moving car. The only, I can't even find one on Google. Anybody else in America who's ever died by a seatbelt in a car. But anyway, um, they, they were saying that, um, that when they looked at the facts they were given and uh, the only mark on his body was right under his neck, certainly not consistent with being dragged behind a car that you've exited with a seatbelt around your neck. Um, Anyway, just a lot of inconsistencies. They did not do an autopsy. When the family asked for an autopsy, they were actually told by one of the lieutenants in the crime scene unit, you don't want that to be done to your family member. They gut you like a fish. Boy, that's something to say to grieving parents. So, um, after I ask them and they say, no, this young man's not an informant, and in no way he could have been, someone would have told us, I subpoenaed the sheriff's department to get my hands on that file. And, of course, the sheriff's department intervened and filed a motion to quash. So we had a big brouhaha there in front of Judge Bishop, and he ordered them to show me the file. So I went down to their office. They took me back in the, into the file room, and the man looked down, he said, look down. He said, do you see that threshold right there? And I said, yes, sir. And he said, you cross that line, I'm going to arrest you. So he walks into the room. He opens up a file cabinet. He picks up the file. He holds it up. And he says, can you read that name? Is that the, the file you're looking for? And I said, yes, sir. He drops it back in the, in the folder and the cabinet, slams the door shut. And he says, I've complied with Judge Bishop's order. You've seen the file. Another red flag. <laughs> I mean, have you ever even heard of anything like this, Paul? No, I'm 
kind of a crime show freak. I watched Lieutenant Kendra, 2020, Dayline, you name it, all of them. I've never heard anything about anyone killing themselves this way. That's the first thing. And uh, the second thing, uh, the fact that confidential informant information was not shared with everyone openly in the very beginning uh, just really, really is questionable. Uh, but Harry, let me ask you this. What what would it take with these type of uh, revelations that we're talking about now? What would it take to open reopen an investigation to find out uh, more about what did happen now that we know that? Well, Paul, I couldn't tell you because back in February, I sent a confidential dossier up to the attorney general's office and it got sent back to me. That's that's right here. Um, so I, I don't know who's going to look into this. But it's not going to be the attorney general because our sheriff's kung fu too strong, if you catch my drift. Well, maybe there's some federal agents maybe. That are listening to this. And Hey, we're listed. Give us a call. Yeah. And, and so through my investigation, I have developed a suspect, a very strong suspect. So since the investigation was closed three years ago, am I supposed to get on my horse and ride this guy down and tie him up, you know, tie him to the telephone pole in front of the sheriff's department at just what point is law enforcement in this county going to do their damn job that's what i want to know paul i don't know what it's going to take but this would be a perfect one to open the door of doing it because uh first of all this young man's 19 years old any of us that let's say over 60 or whatnot realize that at 19 years old you're very vulnerable to still growing up you don't know the laws and then you do get in trouble and then you're compromised to a point that ends in your death. Well, Paul, let's go back to the fact that he was talking about committing suicide. What if I told you he was talking about committing suicide because everybody in North Baldwin County knew he was an informant for the drug task force, except for the people in the room that you except for, about. yeah, except for the investigators who deny knowing anything who, who say that, Oh no, our, our, our better ups would, our higher ups would have told us about this. Well, hopefully this is why we're having the podcast. Hopefully there's somebody out there to pick up the phone. Maybe you've got a little and, bit of power. And, and, and just let me say this. And I, I probably should have said this from the get go to be able to get our hands on this information and to be able to depose the sheriff's department and get a copy of their, of their file. Okay. Mr. Little had to hire me, the grandfather, I had to open an estate in probate court so he would have standing to sue for wrongful death. Then we then went to circuit court and filed a lawsuit against the driver of the car for wrongful death and the mother for negligent entrustment. And that was just settled last week. Um, but there was no confidentiality agreement attached to it. So I'm free to talk about it. That's why we're talking about it today. And I'm just telling you, Paul, this thing stinks. There, tell me under what set of circumstances the drug task force would want to, for any reason, keep this information from the investigators. The only possible reason I could see would be that uh, they don't want to look at really what did happen and if this if this uh, kid was possibly killed. I mean, it's very very possible. I mean, he's a confidential informant. He's very young. Uh, it could have been, he could have been outed within the community. They knew what was going on. He's got everybody looking down his shoulder and 
you know, I can see where he can say, man, well, I are going to kill me or I'm going to kill myself. I actually interviewed some of these kids who were listed in the report and I actually talked to them. And so, you know, I, I feel like I know a, a whole lot more. Well, what? And you know, what's funny is the attorney on the other side in this thing, I think he knows more than, than the investigators assigned to the case. And the fact that they did not do an autopsy and then discourage the family when they asked for one. And you got to understand, Paul, when, when, when the mother initially called me, I was thinking, oh, my goodness, this poor grieving woman is losing her damn mind, claiming that the sheriff's department is doing this big cover up. And then I go down to this meeting where everybody but the sheriff is there. Um, you know, it was a show of force to intimidate these people. And no one admitted at that time that that this was a confident that he was a confidential informant. Nobody had any idea at that meeting. We were focused on the fact that we had his clothes and the and the pictures that they took of his body at the hospital, Mr. Stillman, the, the crime scene investigator. And we're looking through the photos and we're going, this kid wasn't dragged to death. How the hell did y'all come up with that? But people in the room had did, to have known had to have Anthony known. Lowry had to have known had to have his handler had to have known. Obviously. Well, let's hope the district attorney is in his office listening to our podcast and opens an investigation. Or let's saddle them up and go ride this guy down. And then, you know, we'll, we'll be in all kinds of trouble for false imprisonment or, 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 you know, harassment or battery dragging this kid or whoever the person is down here to, uh, you know, in front of a judge, I, you know, right. and at, at what point are they going to do their jobs? Correct. And, and why also, did Mr. Little have to spend $10,000 of his own money to find this stuff out? And the police are the ones that are responsible for the investigation. It should not be incumbent on the citizens to do the investigation. And that is exactly what happens with the, uh, and certainly not committee. somebody like me. No, <laughs> no. I mean, you, we are supposed to be the ones that bring the allegations forward. And then law enforcement is the one to take up that, whether it be law enforcement or the ethics commission, that's the failure right there. Um, um, I, I, I don't know where this can go from here, but the intention of the podcast is bring it to bring, uh, information to the public. So that's what we're trying to do. Well, and I do want to let everybody know that Mr. Little had, uh, a heart, uh, heart surgery a few days ago, and he would have been here with us. Um, but this family has an open invitation to come sit down here and tell everybody out there exactly what happened to them and how they were treated by our sheriff's department. Oh, we'd also like to hear from the sheriff's department. We'd like to hear an explanation from them. I got a feeling you and I'll be hearing from them real soon. Uh, I do too. I hope <laughs> I make it back to Fairhope. <laughs> oh goodness. Um, well, it's a very serious subject. I don't know what else to do about it, but it's either laugh or cry or, I mean, they're, they're, hand ring over it, you know, and this is something that I've known about for years and haven't been able to say anything about because you can't, you're, it's, it's a rule of civil procedure. You can't threaten criminal, uh, prosecution while, a uh, a civil action is going on. Well, you know, 
political corruption runs parallel to this, the same thing. That's the same thing as what political corruption is. The politicians do not do their job. The thing the citizens need to understand is you elect the officials. That's the beginning of your job. The second part of your job is to be sure that those elected officials do their job. I agree. So are you ready to switch gears and talk about the sewer ball? Yeah. That's, I don't that, know how you're going to follow that with sewer, but go well, ahead. It's easy. Sewer stinks too. <laughs> so we'll just get into the sewer. But the one thing I want to say about the uh, uh, sewer thing right off the bat is that, you know, we have a petition that's being circulated. Mr. Richard Dayton from uh, Glen Lakes has started a petition. It's on uh, uh, change.org. And uh, in the petition, he addresses the unfair practices of changing uh, sewer rates. However, the petition supports uh, the regulation of the sewer companies. And uh, that's what's important is that there is no regulation whatsoever. And you have like 19,000, 20,000 homes that are hooked up to uh, Baldwin County sewer and there's no regulation. So that is what the petition is about. The petition will be ongoing for a while. Uh, we want the um, POA presidents of the um, uh, property owners associations to pay particular attention to this petition. We'd like for you to circulate it among your people. Uh, anyone that is interested in this can, can sign the petition. And it will take this type of effort to convince our county commission and our legislators to do their job. So um, I wanted to run through this with everybody. This is the Manta.com uh, profile for Ball County Sewer Service, LLC. It says sanitary sewer company that provides services to the public in areas not serviced by public sewer and in environmentally sensitive areas in Baldwin County. Baldwin County Sewer Service LLC operates three wastewater treatment plants, 147 lift stations, 2.5 million linear feet of sewer force mains, over 450 square mile footprint. Baldwin County Sewer Service has franchise agreements with four municipalities to offer service within their corporate limits and has purchased and operates collection systems from three municipalities. Since 1998, Bone County Sewer Service has collected, transported, and treated, and safely returned to the environment over 3.1 billion gallons of sewer. Bone County Sewer Service has a switch to sewer program that provides incentives for septic tank users to connect to public sewer and is the only sewer provider in Baldwin County that provides 24-7 on-site customer service. Man, that makes me feel warm and fuzzy. It How should. about you? It should, but it still doesn't protect your rates. Okay. <laughs> Go ahead, Paul. Well, on the, on the sewer, you have to think, here we are. We've heard all the statistics. You can drive down the road and you can see that our growth is totally out of control. We know that on the Eastern shore, we have all types of sewer issues along the Eastern shore. It's the number one consumer issue in Baldwin County is the unregulated sewer. It affects everyone. So I really 
encourage you to try to do your part if you if you want to make a difference and sign the petition in addition to that you can call your county commissioners or your legislators and tell them that being the fastest county in the state we need this regulation done legislatively well and so i think to the point that commissioner armstrong made uh in the landyap article I just want people to understand what we're talking about. There's a mandate from the county that if sewer is available at your property, you must hook up to it. Even if it's Baldwin County Sewer Service, private sewer. So if you live out here in the Pine Grove community of Baymanette, you live on Brady Road, Baldwin County Sewer Service has a line in front of you in front of your house. If you're on a septic tank and that thing malfunctions, they will not allow you to fix it. It's compulsory. You must pay Mr. Burke hit whatever tap fee he demands. I think it's $3,300 or something like 35, that. 3500 And then from now until the end of time, you have to pay this guy whatever he wants for that service. I think it, right now it's fifty-five fifty. dollars uh, I think somewhere like that. Yeah, so, somewhere, somewhere in the 50s right now. <clears throat> and we don't know what's in our right of way he doesn't pay us a franchise fee there's nobody that does any kind of oversight on him oh and i'm gonna see if i can't find this i was just i was looking um around the internet and well, i came well that also goes to show you you might be sitting out there saying oh well i'm on a septic tank i don't have to worry about this well now you can see that you very well could be hit with like 3,500 bucks and have to be full and be forced to tie into the sewer. If you have sewer, if you have septic tank problems, so, so it does affect you. So, so Paul, here's something I bet almost nobody listening to this podcast knows about. I'm kicking around the internet looking for Baldwin County sewer service items. And I come across a permit the terms and conditions of a permit for Mr. Well, for Baldwin County sewer service to do deep well injection of their effluent. In other words, them, instead of them treating their effluent and putting it into a stream and it going back into the environment, they have a permit to inject this effluent down below the aquifer into the ground. Oh, that sounds like a brilliant idea. Well, it sounds like a brilliant idea for a public utility, potentially. in a So that's what they do in the Keys, Paul. They can't turn their effluent loose down there in the Keys because it'll kill all the coral. So instead, they do deep well injection, and they got a permit for it because they're an environmentally sensitive area. You know, what does it do to a place around here where there's uh, saltwater in intrusion into the aquifer because warner and Kraft and all these other people are out there watering grass to cut up and sell to people mm -hmm. um you know i have no idea but anyway they have a permit to put one point i think it's 1.2 million gallons i don't want to misspeak um but i don't want to bore people trying to sit here and read this dang permit either um yeah i believe it's 1.2 million gallons a day and they're supposed to be testing that effluent and sending in a sample you know, there's nobody from ADEM sit, standing there doing the testing. They pay somebody to test, and they send the report to ADEM. Right. And mm -hmm. I think ADEM needs to come down here 
and inspect all this stuff immediately. Sure. Once it's pumped down there too, how's anybody going to test it? Well, who knows? Right. It's right. just in the ground forever. Uh, I think Adam is in the same office as the ethics commission in it. <laughs> <laughs> they got the same, they got the same gal answering the phone <laughs> Correct for 18 agencies Correct. Ever called up there. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I know a lot of people that work in ADM, or I used to, until Ben and well, and, and I guess it was Riley came in and cut everybody's benefits, and nobody could take a car home. And then it's like, yeah, yeah, who wants to work for the state with no benefits? Correct, correct. Of course, if you work, if you're a part-time uh, councilman in uh, Fairhope, you get full family insurance. Oh, let's talk but about if you're, that. But if you're a new employee, if you're a new part-time employee, you don't get it. So sounds kind of like Washington, doesn't it? <laughs> I mean, exactly. I, I wouldn't work there either, but <laughs> I, I catch your drift. Uh -huh. So, um, I did want to talk a little bit about a, a preview of our future episode. And, um, I just wanted to show this. I don't know how well it's going to show up. Nick can give us some idea, but, uh, this is the Baldwin County Commission's own website, and this is a copy of, this is an aerial photograph or a, a depiction um, of the property where the county is planning on putting their uh, rail spur through up there to the, um, the mega site. And we're going to talk about uh, the battle for McCurtain's Creek and why we believe the county should protect it, not put a railhead through it. So, Paul, any more on the sewer? No, just uh, please be supportive of the uh, of the petition. Realize that it's a consumer petition. It's started by the people in Glen Lakes. Uh, the RIP report this podcast, and we hope a lot of other people are going to support them. And you're going to hear quite a bit about it in the future. This is a cause that uh we fully intend on sticking with this isn't going to be something that's going to come and go so you'll be hearing from us again on different types of medium we hope that you will check us out on uh, the backstory podcast uh we like to said there's a lot of documents on there as well as the ripreport.com if you want to receive the rip report you can do so on the ripreport.com okay that and I'll sign off, Paul Rip. Okay, let's see. Uh, we're starting to get different uh, comments, different comments, and everything else. Uh, um, I guess we could give a shot, shout out to John Lake. It's his birthday today. Those of you know John Lake was a councilman there in Daphne. He's now now challenging himself to take over the Lake Forest uh, Homeowners Association and get that straight. And if he does that, he deserves a Congressional Medal of Honor. Well, and, and, <laughs> and, and so something I've always some, something I think we should talk about in a future episode. You would think of all the municipalities in Baldwin County. All the headache and heartache that Daphne has had from from annexing that 
particular subdivision in after the fact you know right. it was built as a private subdivision right so they didn't build anything to any standards and the damn road started falling apart and people were like we got to do what the homeowner session kind of got to pay for all this so they've spent untold millions of dollars just getting this thing up to par where it should have been to begin with right correct so why in the world would they allow a developer to build a huge subdivision not to their standards and then annex it in after the fact. They shouldn't. Well, well, that's the plan as far as I know it. Well, I know. Yeah. I know. Yeah. But if you look at, you know, the difference between Daphne and, say, Fairhope is that Daphne has always had a policy of annexing anything, any invitation to come in. you got something you want to do on the periphery there. Uh, one of the conditions is that you come in to the city. And so the city has expanded to a point to where, you can't see its boundaries and the density is becoming a lot more visible. Whereas in Fairhope and Fairhope, they restricted the annexation to the point of you, the citizen had to ask to be invited in and that restricted the city limits. However, now that's causing a monumental problem. And the fact that the, again, the density is getting so, uh, that, there has to be some sort of annexation. People don't want to be annexed in. Uh, but if they're not annexed in, if there's not a tax base, it's not sustainable to do what the city's trying to do. So that we will come up on another, on another podcast. But, you know, I'd like to close in saying that if you heard the first part of the podcast, it, it basically is saying that you either have to stand up and do something. If you stand up, you can do something. If you sit down, you do nothing. And if you sit down and do nothing, that's how we get in the position that we are now. So please. Well, like I said, when the first time I heard about this case, I could have kicked it across the room, but I let it get bigger than me. And these, these, these people who obviously kept this information from their own officers have moved on up in the ranks. Which makes it even harder. Which makes to get, it even harder to get any satisfaction for these people. And perpetuates the same and type of problem that we're trying to stop. Absolutely. Well, I think we found a good place to stop, Paul. I hope everybody learned something today. And I hope that we both make it home safely. <laughs> <laughs> I do too. And Fabrique uh, National protects my house. I don't know what you got. Correct. And if you're <laughs> listening to the podcast and you have a particular uh, subject or can add to what we have been talking about that we don't know about, uh, we welcome you to contact us. We will keep you uh, anonymous if you wish. Uh, if you want to come on a podcast, we'll even entertain that. It's all ripped with a rip report. Harry Steele, Backwood Southern Lawyer. All right, let's go.